none of that. I feel like you're setting me up for... Uh, maybe. <laughs> How are we all doing this morning? Are we good? I'm good. Yeah, just putting it out there. Um, I don't know about you, I'm feeling really privileged about being a part of this church, especially over this past um, couple of months. I feel like the direction that we've been going as a church and the vision that Pastor Gary and Pastor Jane have at the moment has a lot to do with what God's been doing in me. And uh, it excites me. It excites me to know that, you know, we're, we're trying to draw into God's presence more. I love that. I'm a worshipper at heart. Uh, that's my jam. I love to be in God's presence. So learning about that on a week-to-week basis has just been amazing for me. But then something that's been coming out recently about um, signs and wonders and miracles being a part of the fruit that comes from being in God's presence, uh, that, that's a different side for me. And uh, that's a side that I'm, I'll be honest, I, my faith can lack there. And so I really felt God say, well, let's look into it a little bit more then and let's see why it is you're lacking, what it is that you need um, to learn so that that way you can move forward in this area. And so uh, I'm going to share a few things with you today. We're going to do a lot of looking around in the book of Mark. Um, that's where we see a lot of the miracles get described. So uh, we're going to look through that a little bit today. And I've got, hang on, let me count, one, two, three. I think I've got five points. Amazing. So uh, let, let's get started. I'm going to pray first. Lord God, I just thank you so much that your word is the truth. And I just thank you, Father God, that you've given it to us so that we can constantly learn your heart. And I pray that this morning as we uh, read and delve into it a little bit, God, that you would just open us up to what you have to say. And I pray, Lord God, that um, your word would move and change things in this place today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay. Uh, So the the first point that I have... um, in, you know, when it comes to miracles, um, is that we need to not be ashamed, okay? Uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm not one that puts myself out there. I, I don't always come to God with every little single thing. Um, and, and I'm learning piece by piece that that's the person that God's called me to be, to allow him to do the work in every single thing. So um, if you turn to Mark 10, uh, verse 46, in your Bibles, we're going to have a look at uh, someone that's going to receive a miracle. How exciting. All right. Um, his name is Blind Bart, and uh, he is the picture of being unashamed, okay? So it says, <clears throat> Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, uh, oh, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. (laughs) Can you imagine that? At first they're all like, shut up, be quiet. And now they're all like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go see Jesus, you know. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. Good old blind Bart, all right? He is so unashamed. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He is just going to scream out to Jesus with all his might, all his, just his, all his passion and effort. And, you know, what? to be honest, if someone's shushing me, I'm the kind of person that goes, oh, okay, sorry, my bad. He doesn't care. He's just like, nah, I need to see Jesus and I need to see him now. I mean, he's a blind beggar. He's had to live a life of being pushed off to the side. You know, people want to, you know, just move him into the shadows, move him along. They don't want, you know, they don't want to see beggars on the side of the road, you know. He's had to yell and scream out for money his whole life, basically. And you know what? Those kinds of things, those moments can hinder us from being the unashamed person that God's called us to be. There's, you know, pride, fear, uh, contentment, past rejection. You know, that's just a couple. But those are the things that can paralyse us. You know, they, they close us in and they hide us in the shadows and we feel shame and we're unable to call out to God. Or we're, yeah, just too ashamed. They limit the relationship between us and God. And they limit our effectiveness that we can have within our community. And they hide the light that's inside us. And that's horrible. But you know what? Blind Bart is unashamed. And he calls out to God. And when Jesus comes by, Bartimaeus knows that he's not just going to be receiving his sight. He's going to receive a tool that's going to help him be effective and live a full life for, for the rest of his life. It's not just about the thing that he needs. It's going to be a blessing to him forever. And you know what? God wants us to have this same miracle. God wants us to learn how to open ourselves up. He wants us to learn how to become an unashamed person where we can cry out to him with absolutely everything that we've got. And you know what? He wants us to get to a point where being unashamed and crying out to Jesus is the most natural thing in the world. How exciting is that? So exciting. I'm excited. So let's learn to not be ashamed. let's, Let's learn to let God hear our cries. We also need to learn to...
get used to being a little bit uncomfortable? Does that make people want to squirm a little in their seats? I hate being uncomfortable. And you know what? Change is tough. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, I'm a pretty easygoing person myself. I'm relaxed most of the time. And uh, usually don't really care what people think. So I I don't tend to get uncomfortable too easy. Um, But at the same time, if you change things when I'm used to doing them a certain way, yeah, I'm going to get a little bit nervous. I'm going to get a little bit, oh, I don't know about that. But um, I, I can get uncomfortable with things like change especially when I'm in a really good routine. I I hate it when, um, say, I've got a plan for the week, especially meals-wise. I'm a meal planner. I plan every single thing. And then all of a sudden Luke will be like, oh, yeah, but I'm going out tonight. And I think, oh, okay, hang on. I really don't need to make a full meal then, do I? And then I start to panic. I'm like, well, what am I going to make? What am I... And it's just that little bit of uncomfortability of, you know, you, you had a plan. And now that plan has changed. But can I ask, why do we get so afraid of being uncomfortable? You know, we hear a lot in church, especially, about getting out of our comfort zones. And uh, that puts people in a little bit of a spiral sometimes, you know. I've had uh, times when I've uh, come to church, not here, different church, um, where I would sit down in a chair and someone would be like, oh, I normally sit there and I sort of think, there's like a hundred chairs here, who cares? Like, is it really that big a deal? But we do, we get into a place of familiar, uh, how do you say it, familiar? Say it for me, I'm not good with words. Um, But we do, we we just get into this place of comfort. Um, And can I encourage you that there's great freedom in allowing yourselves to step outside that comfort zone. It's, It's... it's very comforting. And you know what? Every now and again, even Jesus liked to change things up a little. So if we read in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to go from verse 31. Um, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into a region of the Decapolis. Right, thank you again. (laughs) There some people brought him, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ear, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Be opened. At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Now, I'm sorry, I love Jesus, but I don't know how I feel about him spitting on me, man. Uh, that's it's a little bit uncool. Um, and do you know what? As the deaf, mute person... You probably already have a bit of a communications barrier, am I right? So if some guy sits you down and sticks his fingers in you and starts spitting at you, you're going to be like, what? 
what's going on here? And most of the time when Jesus would perform a miracle, he would forgive someone of their sins. He would, he would speak to them. He would bless them. Um, and, and that's just sort of like the pattern that you tend to see throughout all these stories, except for this particular story where he's changed it up and he's gone, you know what? We're going to do it this way today. And um, you think, why, why, why? Why did you choose to spit on someone instead of just doing it the same way? You know what? We're, ne- we're never really going to know why Jesus changed it up. It's this, his choice. He gets to choose what he does. But it's safe to say that we don't ever know how God is wanting to move in our lives. And we don't know what it is that he has in store. And we don't know how the miracle is going to come. We don't want to put Jesus into a cookie-cutter mould and say, this is how he's going to bring the miracle. You know what I mean? It would be very easy for the disciples to say, yeah, but, you know, he always blesses, he forgives of sins. That's how it's done. No, it's not. It's actually not. Jesus is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He can spit on someone and they can be healed. He can talk to someone. They can be healed. And um, for, for me, in, in, in my own life, um, we, we've been, we'd been believing that God was going to heal uh, Luke's dad's kidney. We were tr- fully trusting that it was going to be just complete restoration, basically. And um, you know what? That's not how it happened. Um, he had to go through dialysis. He was on dialysis for two years. Um, and, and then eventually he got a kidney transplant. Now, is that a, a new kidney? Yes. So he is healed. He's got a healing. But it didn't happen the way that we thought it was going to happen. And in the meantime, while we were waiting for that miracle to happen, he was an absolute witness to every single person within that dialysis unit because he would constantly say, no, I believe that God is going to heal me. I believe that God's going to come through. And so, you know, it's not always how we think it's going to be. And God is, you know, in a dialysis unit, that's not comfortable, okay? There's no comfort in that place. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of depression. But God pulled through that situation. And so being a little bit uncomfortable sometimes can give you absolute freedom. So, you know, we need to start getting used to being a little bit uncomfortable and not being sure exactly how things are going to come through. Okay? We need to be united in our faith. Um, we've just gone through the Four Cup series. Who enjoyed that, by the way? I did. I thought that was very cool. Um, I had heard of like Passover and that sort of thing, obviously, through the stories. And actually getting to delve into it was amazing. But one of the things that I really loved about it was um, about how God sets us up in a team and about how, you know, God deals with our issues. He takes us out of Egypt, but he puts us into a team so that we've got people surrounding us. And um, I really feel like 
when it comes to seeing miracles come to pass, the team plays a massive part in that. And, um, you know, God wants to set us up with people that are going to spur us on, that they're going to encourage us, uh, that when we're struggling, they can see those things, that they can provide support, you know, to lean upon. And um, I'm going to read from... Mark chapter 2, I'm going to read this one from the NLT version. And um, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. And... And then, you know, there's some people that are having a bit of a whinge. How come he gets to forgive people of sins and blah, blah, blah. But then the guy gets up um, and he takes his mat with him. That's the the miracle there. All right. Um, The paralyzed man, he could not get to Jesus without a team of people around him. Okay. It didn't matter what his faith was at that moment when he's lying there in his own house, unable to get to Jesus. He had to have a team of people around him that believed the exact same thing and that were willing to carry him in that moment. And I don't know about you, I I read the Bible a lot through the picture books with my kids. So um, when I see this particular story, you sort of see a man on a stretcher and and the guys are carrying the stretcher. Um, And so in my mind it's always been that. But as I was reading it this time around... Um, God really made me focus on the mat for some reason. I'm like, okay, random. But in my mind, the picture of the mat was more like a rug. And if each person holding onto a corner of a rug is not pulling their weight and is not um, completely focused, that guy would have just fallen off the mat. He would have just fallen out. I mean, how embarrassing trying to help a guy and he falls off the mat you'd be embarrassed not just that they're trying to get this mat up onto a roof I mean how are they doing that have they decided to turn it into like a knapsack so they've just like you know pulling this thing up not just that they've got to dig through the roof back then they've got clay roofs over them like they've had to like you know shovel pickaxe whatever it is that they these guys were invested in this guy's miracle probably more than what he was he was probably like guys you know what it's all good like Jesus is busy they're like no man we're getting you to Jesus and these are the people that we need to begin to surround ourselves with I mean how easily would it have been for one of those guys carrying the mat got a corner going what I've got to get all the way up onto the roof yeah no I'm out I'm out done no deal No, each person was as invested. 
got to ask, what is it going to look like when we as a church are all 100% focused, 100% committed, and 100% united in what we're doing? What's that look like? Yeah, yeah. That's not a rhetorical question. Start thinking about that. You know, what's a, a couple of things that I, I sort of picture is um, just like prayer and ministry time just turning into this absolute epic moment of church, you know, where people are coming out, laying hands on each other, you know, people worshipping behind people that are getting prayed for, people knowing that, you know, this is important, you know, not, not feeling like, oh, I'll just sit back here, but actually being invested and being a part of it. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's tough because sometimes we think, oh, is that my place? Let me tell you, if you are believing 100% for someone's miracle, then yeah, it's your place. It's your place. How much more effective could we be in our community? Um, you know, I, I'm one of those people, I, I, I suppose my role within church is more in, in church bound, being a part of music team and that sort of thing. But my mindset has had to change recently and say, okay, what am I doing outside of church building because you know what I can't just have the mentality of just being effective up here I need to be effective out there and since I've gone back to work I found I've got myself a new little battlefield which is which is lots of fun you know I I find that you know Jesus saw the work and the effort and just that absolute passion that these guys had to see this guy get his miracle and he just blessed it you know that that's why the miracle came to pass in the first place because I mean you know what would Jesus have healed that guy anyway yes probably but I think it really touched Jesus heart to see just people just united and just fully committed so you know what we need to be united in our faith we also need to understand that God's impossible I know, sorry, our impossible, our impossible is God's normal, everyday, easy level, okay? Um, I like to play the PlayStation every now and again. I don't get to do it often because usually the kids are on it. But when I do play a game, I'm a wuss. I'm going to put it out there. I play on easy. (laughs) Medium is too hard for me. Difficult is just impossible I can't do it I play on easy Um, and you know what the difficult and the impossible is like me playing on easy for God God's just like eh I got this you know we sing songs like nothing is impossible or unstoppable God or for those who love the 90s all things are Possible. Yeah? So my question is, 
why do we put limits on what we believe is possible for God? I do it. I do it all the time. Like, believe me, when I'm talking about this stuff, it's because it's stuff that God's doing in me at this moment. And I just want to share it with you because, you know, I need people that feel the same way and are growing and developing in the same way. So why is it that we put limits on what our, especially on our expectation of what God can do. We, you know, it's one thing to go, yeah, God can do all things, but come expecting only this much. Hmm? All right. So in Mark chapter 6, verse 35, <clears throat> um, we read the story of where Jesus feeds the 5,000 which is funny because Pastor Gary said something about that just earlier. So I was like, yay! Um, Basically, with this story, disciples are like, you know, hey, people are complaining, they want something to eat. Jesus is like, "Mm, let's get get them something to eat. And they're like, it's going to cost a lot. How are we going to do that? And so, um, how many loaves do you have, he says, Uh, In verse 38, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five uh, five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And the moral of the story is everyone gets fed. Everyone has a great time. It's awesome. Everyone gets totally full. Yay. It's like a buffet in that place. It's awesome. Okay? Now, the reason why I love this story is because Jesus is just so like, yeah, it's easy. What are you talking about? Just go get some fish. Go get some bread. We'll break it up. It's going to be a meal. Let's do this. Um, but what really surprised me is that even after seeing this miracle, this, the disciples, they just still don't get it. And... Um, they, they just don't understand that God can do anything. And uh, in chapter 8, they have to go through the whole thing again. <clears throat> and it says uh, from verse 1, During those days another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Uh, and some of them have a long distance to go. His disciples answered, but we're in this remote place. Can we get enough food for everyone to eat? And Jesus again says, okay, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they said. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them. And again, everyone has enough food to eat. Everyone has a meal, you know, lines up at the buffet. They have a great time. Now, I don't understand what is the disciples' deal. Jesus literally has to perform the same miracle again because they didn't get it. Now, is it any less impressive because this time you only fed 4,000 people? No. No. You know, maybe it was cold that day and not everyone could get out and hang out with Jesus, you know, but... 
Jesus was really trying to show the disciples something. In fact, even this second time around, Jesus prompted them and said, hey, I don't think these guys have had anything to eat. So he was sort of giving them the opportunity to say, let's go see how many loaves. Let's go and, you know, bless this thing and let's have a buffet. But again, they, they missed it. They were like, oh, I don't have any food. Do you have any food? No, I don't have any food. Oh. You know, the, the mentality of these people, it, it shocks me. And um, Pastor Gary recently shared, I think it was at one of the prayer meetings, um, that the power and authority that Jesus spoke about, like around the commission and that sort of thing, you know, that's the same power that we have now as in then. God's not getting any weaker. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So, you know, we're not... The reason why we're not seeing miracles is not because he's a weak God or because, you know, he doesn't care about us enough to perform miracles. No. Uh, God's waiting for us to get it. He's waiting for us to understand that impossible is just normal and that impossible can be our everyday lives but normal. Does that make sense? You know... The power and the authority to call the impossible is in our lives. And we need to take a hold of that and really start seeing it come to pass. And last but not least, we need a new desperation. In Mark 5... From verse 21 to 34, we read about the woman that has the issue of blood. Now, she gets talked about all the time and um, I believe it's with good reason. The woman who would risk it all just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. You know, she had nothing but her faith. And that's why I love what you were talking about before, Teresa. I thought it was amazing that, you know, even when we've got nothing to give, just giving our hearts over is enough. Yeah. We'll just quickly read through. Okay. Um, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman who had been there, uh, subject for bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a Great, um, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent everything that she had and yet she'd only gotten worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then it goes on to talk about like how you know Jesus and the disciples interact and they're like, oh, how do you know someone touched you? You know what? It doesn't matter. The point of this story is the woman's heart. I honestly, when I read this story, I cannot put myself in her shoes. I don't know how to. We're looking at a woman who is an outcast because of her physical condition. We're looking at a woman who lives in poverty because she's just spent anything and everything that she's had on doctors. 
you know, she's, she's tired of living with her condition. She's lonely. Like, that's a hard place to even mentally for myself to put myself. To be in public for her was offensive to others. Can you imagine that? To be, you know, all you want to do is see Jesus. But you know that if you go out there, people are going to be offended. People are going to be upset. But you know what? She was so desperate for a change in her circumstance. And I believe that today... We don't have enough of that. We don't have enough of that absolute desperation to see God change our circumstances. Um, Just a situation that I've had in my own life. Back, um, like say six years ago, I had a miscarriage and it was probably one, uh, one of the darkest moments that I'd ever gone through. And... I can remember just feeling like a failure as a woman. I can remember feeling empty because what had been inside me was gone. And I can remember feeling like I'd let my family down. Now, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. You know, sometimes things happen. But I put that all on myself. And... um, I can remember I was sitting in bed one day because I just couldn't get out of bed. I was just too upset, too depressed. And um, I can remember God just... I just felt his presence. just felt him sitting with me. He didn't say anything to me. He just sat with me. And it was this amazing moment that gave me the strength the next day to get up and to start moving. And... um, I can remember going, it must have been not too much longer after that, maybe a couple of months, we went to this leadership meeting and they were singing this song and in the bridge it was just all like, you know, nothing is impossible, nothing is impossible. And I grabbed hold of those words like I'd never grabbed onto anything because I knew that I wanted to have another baby. I knew it and I... I was so scared because, you know what, I didn't want the same thing to happen again. I was scared and uh, I was uh, in, in, a, in a place where my relationship with God was like, I, I don't want to say I'd lost it, I was rocky because I had just gone through tragedy. So, you know, um, but I decided, no, I'm going to grab hold of those words that God can do anything that impossible is his normal. I will take a hold of that. And I grabbed hold and I can remember I could hardly even sing the words. I just was so broken down, crying. It was a mess. It's horrible. But I grabbed a hold. And do you know three weeks later I found out I was pregnant again with Ethan. And I believed that God was going to give me what I wanted. And I had this desperation I'd never felt before just rise up within me and take a hold of what God promises me. You see, if we are going to start seeing our circumstances change, which he wants for us, you know, 
The Bible says, John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal from us. He's come to destroy us. But God wants us to have this full, amazing, abundant life. If we want to see change in our situations, we need to get desperate for it. And we have to start really stirring up a passion for those things within our hearts. Do you want to see a change in your family? I know I do. I've got a brother and a sister that currently, that they're living away from God. They used to have a relationship with him. Now they don't. I want to see them back in church and I want to see them having a relationship with God. What do you want to see for your family? That's not rhetorical. Start speaking it out. What do we want to start seeing in our families? What do we want to start seeing in our schools? What do I want to see? I want to see my son be able to talk about the Bible without being paid out. I want to see him, you know, walk in confidence knowing that his God protects him in that school every single day. What do we want to see change in our communities? I want to see safe communities. Communities that are built on trust. I want to see communities that start getting, you know, built up around, you know, biblical, you know, values. That's what I want to see start to happen. What do we want to see in our finances? What do we want to see change in our health? What about our relationship with God? What do we want to see change? We need to start calling these things out and getting desperate. You know, even right now, let's stand up. Let's not just sit here. Let's actually be a part of it. And let's, let's actually start declaring some things that we want to see God change in our lives. Let's start getting a hunger for it. Let's start getting desperate for it. Am I right? Come on. Lord God. Lord God. Lord God, we want to see change in our situations. We want to see healing. We want to see souls saved. Lord God, we want to see relationships that were broken become one again, Lord God. Come on, start getting hungry for this stuff. In every situation, God. In every situation, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord God, let healing come in this place where people are unwell. Let them be whole. Make them well again, Lord God. Let's see people come back in connection with you again, Lord God. That people would live lives that are whole, that are filled to abundance, God, with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We need passion. And we need a fire that drives us. Because let me tell you something. When we get into his presence and we just lay it all out there on the line for him, That's when the miracle comes. A miracle can be anything. A miracle can be anything. You know, we've read a lot of physical stuff here today. 
But a miracle can be anything. And you know what happens when we share that miracle with someone that doesn't know God? They get a little piece of him. They get a little taste. They get to see him a little. And, you know, I I truly believe that God just, with with the direction that we're going as a church, getting into his presence, starting to really believe for these signs, these wonders, these miracles to happen, I believe God is setting us up for amazing influence in our city. So let's begin to take a hold of that. Let's begin to become committed to the vision. Take a hold of it. And when I I say take a hold of it, don't just gently grasp it. I I honestly don't think that that woman just gently went, oh, I got a little smidgen of his hem, yay. I reckon she would have just gone for the grab. She would have grabbed at that thing with everything she had. She leapt for it. And that's how we need to be. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What an amazing God we serve. An amazing God we serve. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Just begin to open yourself up to his presence. Let's just begin to soak him in as we stand here and commit our lives to him again, as we stand and declare that we're going to just move with him, that we're going to believe with him as we believe together, as one group, as we you know, put our faith together. Start believing for those things in your life to change. Start believing that he's going to make a move in your life. Start believing for it. Start believing for it. Thank you, Lord.